Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Philippians 4.9 Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Our second verse is from Proverbs. It's 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Yay! Is what you all meant? Listen, this is what would Jesus do in the classroom? It's teaching day, all right? What is, in your opinion, one of the hardest life lessons to learn? Trust. That was heavy really quickly. Patience. Yeah, who keeps praying for me to have that, by the way? Please stop. What else? Yeah. That you're not in charge. This is not what Carrie Lynn needs to learn, all right? This is one of the hard lessons for y'all to learn. (laughs) What about how to drive? Was that kind of difficult? Anybody else, like, grew up in, like, a stick shift situation? Yeah? Yeah? Um, Or in this crowd, and I'd say for myself, too, remember the first time you had to, like, try to use Facebook? or a computer, or a smartphone. That's kind of hard to learn, isn't it? The first time you had to log on to Facebook to attend church, it's kind of hard to learn. Um, I have a really cool mark on my hand that you can come ask me about later um, that shows that I learned a really hard lesson this past week that the um, rack in my oven needs to be moved down before I try to use my giant Dutch oven to make a really wonderful pot roast. Um, when I go in to grab it and I burn my hand on the top. Just, (laughs) no big deal. Or if you can remember back to your high school days, or if you're in your high school days, one of the hardest lessons to learn is when it is time to break up with someone. There are just some life lessons that are difficult to learn. So the two passages selected selected for us this morning... Um, get really short and really to the point about the importance of learning. And what I love about um, partnering these two passages together is that we have representation from both the Old and New Testaments. So let's go back to Philippians 4.9. So it's, it's what would Jesus do in the classroom day, so we're going to do what we do in the Sunday school classroom. So the book of Philippians, is that Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. Does anybody know what type of book Philippians is? What? Short. (laughs) That is correct. Um, We were looking for letter, but yes, it's also short. It's only four chapters. So if you wanted to go home and read it before next Sunday, you'd have to read a chapter a day and have three extra days. Um, It's a letter. Does anybody know who wrote the letter? Paul. That's a great guess. Anytime there's a letter, that's a good default. 
Nine times out of ten, yes. Yeah, so the book of Philippians, and it's, it's, this, um, it's this letter that Paul wrote to this community in Philippi. And um, I'm in a New Testament course this semester, and all we have done is camp out in all four short chapters of Philippians. And if you think it is short after spending ten weeks in it, I beg to differ at this point. Um, but Philippi is this really interesting colony that had some Greek influences, but had been taken over by Roman forces. And so um, the political and the spiritual sphere of Philippi had a lot of interesting influences that are around it. It's not heavily Jewish, though. There's not a synagogue that is written about that um, Jewish people go to worship. But from what we can tell from biblical and archaeological evidence, in Philippi there was a strong Christian community that formed there. If you've never read the book of Philippians all the way through, I highly recommend it. It's a pretty easy read. Um, Again, only four chapters, but it's a really good example of Paul's best relationship with a community. This is a community that Paul loves and adores, and it's a community of people that had zero knowledge of the one God before Paul came and taught them. The entire letter of Philippians is this um, instructions that Paul is writing to this community that he loves dearly. The opening and the closing of the book of Philippians is so different than the other letters because Paul shows his love for the community that is so specific to Philippi. And I think think that Paul knew this was going to be his last correspondence with the community because I think what he's telling them are those things that he's that he's saying so that you have these words when I'm gone. So you have these words with you forever. So he's putting everything in four chapters that he wants to make sure he passes along. And the verse that we had for today is kind of the start of his final movement of the letter. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying that these people are now to be held accountable for what they have learned. And by now, what they should know. He's saying that this letter he's writing to them is not just saying, you know, do you ever have a a yearbook sign when you were a kid and somebody wrote like, have a great summer and you never saw them ever again? Like, this is not what Paul's writing in Philippians, is have a great summer or you rock never change. But Paul is putting in this letter You need to be nice to one another. You need to pay attention to those in the community that are on the outskirts. You need to be unified, not by what you think, but by how you love. It is a letter full of instructions for how to live life together. So the other passage that we read earlier is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. So Proverbs, Old or New Testament, Old, and does anybody know what type of book Proverbs is? It's not short, it's a little bit longer. Wisdom, yes, whoever said that, good job. Wisdom, yes. Proverbs is known as um, the book of wisdom. There's a couple of others, but people prefer Proverbs because it's a bit nicer. Ecclesiastes isn't as fun. Um, But the book of Proverbs is divided up into 31 chapters, really for reference sake. But I would say it was written by Solomon, and and each proverb is its own little nugget of wisdom. So I would claim 
that Solomon was tweeting before it was cool, because each little proverb is 140 characters or less. And when I first became interested in reading my Bible um, on my own, apart from church, apart from my parents, um, Proverbs is where I started. It was a really easy book for me um, to digest. If you read one chapter a day, you read a whole book of the Bible in a month. Um, and it, there are challenging small bits of wisdom, um, but it's a really, really, really good book to sit with um, and to be able to um, just take with the words for what they are. So most of the Proverbs are a tribute to Solomon, who is um, the guy who's the son of King David, um, and he eventually becomes the king of Israel himself. And so in Proverbs 1-7, this is in the opening chapter of this book, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, we could spend hours talking about this like single proverb alone or Philippians even more if we wanted to. But for time's sake this morning, let me say this about Philippians and Proverbs. What we learn has a lot to do with God. So today's question for us is what would Jesus do in the classroom? And I would venture to say that this is one of the easier questions to answer. Like, we don't really have a great example of Jesus being, like, a boss or a subordinate, like the last two weeks, or hanging out on the golf course, like, next week. Um, but we do have biblical evidence of Jesus being a teacher, right? Um, from the very beginning, um, when Jesus is 12, he's teaching in the temple. And Jesus is called a couple of different names throughout the four Gospels, 90 times he is called by something other than his name. 60 of those, it is the word teacher. So two-thirds of the names that Jesus is referred to is teacher. And the word teacher, I went through a whole deep dive on the word. Um, it comes from this, this root word that um, it means someone who um, it's, it's to show or to point out. And for all of my former teachers in the room, you know that you did a lot of pointing out in your time as a teacher, pointing out things to children and to adults. But Jesus is teaching all over the Gospels. Jesus is called a good, even an excellent teacher. In Matthew 7, 29, I think we have it on the screen, um, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and it tells us after this entire long sermon that it gave us, it says that Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Meaning that Jesus was better than the religious teachers that the Jewish people at the time were used to. And I always have to wonder with this passage, it says right after this, um, after 729, it says, and then they followed him. And I've always wondered, like, all right, was Jesus using, like, really good visual aid? Was he hitting all of his objectives in his lesson? Did he communicate the learning outcomes? Like, what was it about him that standing on the side of a mountain, he teaches a really great lesson. They say he's better than the other religious teachers, and so they just decide to follow him. Jesus affirms that he came to serve as a teacher. 
In John 13, 13, this is after the Last Supper, after Jesus has instituted communion right before Jesus is about to be taken to be arrested and then crucified. One of the last things he says to the disciples is, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And Jesus didn't only call himself a teacher, but Jesus gave us commandments to preach. One of the last things that Jesus said after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended, he said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus' final instructions for us or for his disciples, are to go and to teach other people. Teaching and learning were essential to Jesus. And not just because Jesus is a teacher, but because Jesus commands us to teach others. We learn in the Gospels that Jesus learns as he grows up. He gains favor in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man. And we can see, too, from Philippians, which sits on the other side of the Gospels, and Proverbs, which is on this side of the Gospels, that teaching and learning is really important to God. From the very beginning of Scripture, humans are learning things, perhaps through difficult means. But learning, I think, is part of God's design for the Christian life. You are not born with all of the knowledge that you should have about God. You do not die with all of the knowledge that is capable of having about God. And throughout our life, we are always learning things about God. I have a lot of educators in my life. I know we have a lot in the church as well. So if you're a former educator, would you just wave your hand? Be proud. It's not embarrassing. Thank you. So my mom is a high school principal. One of my best friends teaches third grade. Another one of my best friends teaches seventh grade English at an all-girls school. And one of the most influential people in my life teaches two-year-olds. And they would all agree, and teachers in the room, you stop me in the middle of this sermon if you do not agree. A good teacher wants to challenge their students. A good teacher loves their students. A good teacher takes care of their students. But a good teacher wants to teach their students things they don't already know. Educators would not be satisfied if all they did was come in and just regurgitate something that kids already knew. If seniors in high school were just singing their ABCs, we wouldn't call that good education. Educators are only satisfied when they are spending their time telling their students things that are new to them, things that are um, exciting, things that maybe sometimes are disappointing to learn. From two-year-olds to high school seniors, educators want to challenge their students. And the same can be said for Jesus. So the question is this morning, what would Jesus do in the classroom I would tell you that Jesus would be teaching, and Jesus would not 
sit down and play games and only tell us things that we like or things that we already know. But Jesus would teach us things that would challenge us. Jesus would know more about the Bible than any person in here. Jesus would say that some of our actions regularly do not point us to God. Jesus would challenge the priorities that we have in our life. He would probably challenge the notion that we would say anything is more important than our relationship with God. Jesus would say that golf and soccer games and PTA meetings are not nurturing our relationship with God as much as we think they are. And Jesus would say things that you and I would disagree with. As we talked about earlier, there are some lessons in life that are really hard to learn. They're challenging for us to learn. And the lessons that we need to learn from Jesus are really tricky. So, so far in the sermon series, we have considered the example of Jesus and how it might um, impact the way that we should treat people. How do we treat employees? How do we treat bosses? How do we behave as employees? How do we behave as bosses? But this morning, I have a different challenge I want to offer for you. I want you to think about your commitment to learning from the greatest teacher. And I will tell you, the best part about the greatest teacher is that you already have all of his lesson plans. There is nothing hidden from you that you cannot access. Did you know that you can read this at home more than one time? You might have even one. I like our daily emails that are going out, by the way, because I don't know if you've noticed at the bottom, it has a little picture of the Bible that has dust on it that says, read me. I don't know from whose house that was, but um, you're allowed to read this at home on your own on like a Tuesday. You have access to the greatest teacher's lesson plans. Um, I brought up this massive stack of Bibles and not to be impressive, but I want to show you. So one of the goals that I set for family ministry team in August was that I wanted to have an age-appropriate Bible in the hands of every child and teenager that came to Creekwood. And the story actually started um, when poor Hardy Finley said in Sunday school, I don't have a Bible at home. And if you know his parents, you know there's like 27 trillion Bibles in that household. But what we understood from Hardy was, I don't have a Bible. I think I can read at home. So we put a Bible in the hands of every kid and every teenager. So this is the one that we use for our preschoolers. This is the one that we use for kinder, first, and second graders. Um, this is what we use in Sunday school and what we give them at home. This is the third grade Bible that Bible Man and Bible Woman deliver. And then we have a student Bible that we give to our students when they start confirmation. And then we have a Bible that we give our students when they graduate from high school. And I'm not doing this. Uh, we, don't, we don't put Bibles in their hands to, to be a show, um, to have a barn banner that says, every child has a Bible. Because we know that that's, that's not why. We believe that some of the most important lessons that we can pass on to our children and our teenagers, whether they're ours or not, are in the Bible. And we want them to feel, like Hardy feels now, 
that they can access it. We give kids and teenagers Bibles because we know that learning does not happen for one hour during the week when you're at church. In fact, studies have shown, and educators, stop me if I'm wrong, studies have shown that the most effective way of learning anything is what? Daily repetition. If I wanted to learn math, would it do me any good to take a math lesson for one hour every week? No. You spend the first half of it learning what you tried to learn last week. Daily repetition is the best way to learn something. And so we want our kids to be reading their Bibles every day at home. We want them to feel like there is a version for them that they won't get lost in, that has pictures that are helpful in ways that um, are written and geared towards children. We want it to correspond with their Sunday school lessons. And I will tell you something that might be a little bit challenging. It's not just the children that need to read their Bibles. It's all of us. None of us are ever done learning about God. Unless anybody in here is Jesus and you didn't tell me, which please multiply the donuts if that's you. None of us are done learning about God. And I promise you, a master of divinity does not mean you are done learning about God either. I've been sharing a little bit with you guys. I talked about last time, um, I'm finally like in a season where um, I'm taking my daily Bible reading a little bit more seriously again and not just using like school or work as an excuse to say I'm reading my Bible. And I've been going through um, the Gospel of Matthew. Every day I'm reading a chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I started this around um, the beginning of Lent-ish. And I will tell you, I am still finding things that I have questions about. Or connections that I'm still drawing in Scripture. So this morning, instead of thinking about how we treat people like we have the last two weeks, I want to challenge everybody in here to consider what your Bible reading habits are and maybe what adjustments or changes or even just seasonal choices that we can make to be engaged in Scripture even more. Maybe you need to start today and read Proverbs just where I started. It's really easy to digest and just take one chapter a day. And in one month, you can come tell me you read a whole book of the Bible. Or maybe you've seen in our daily um, Lent devotional emails that we are reading through the Gospel of Luke together. It was an accident that I started with Matthew. I'm not trying to be rebellious. But maybe you need to pick up the Gospel of Luke and read with everybody else who's reading every day just a little bit about Jesus. Maybe if you're going to tell me you don't have time to read a book, you can download the Bible Gateway app, which will read it to you. And you can change the voice on it too. It's very nice. You can have a Scottish person reading you the Bible. But maybe you need to engage daily in the Word in an auditory way. Maybe you need to purchase, um, it's called a journaling Bible. This is what I'm using right now. And what it has is it has the, the text, but it leaves really big margins on the side for you to take notes and draw pictures and write questions. And maybe that's what you need to do because 
Sometimes when we feel like we know it, we gloss over it when we read it. But having space to write things down. And if you don't believe me and you don't want to take my word for it, ask Chuck Mundy or Linda Judd how it's going doing their disciple fast track class where they have been engaged in scripture and learning things about scripture that they didn't even know still. And those two might be the best ones who know the Bible in here. The Bible's not meant to be intimidating or something that's only for us to tell you what's in it. It's the greatest teacher's lesson plans that have been preserved over thousands of years just for you. And so this morning, if you're asking yourself the question, what would Jesus do in the classroom? Jesus would probably tell you to pull out your Bibles, and he would teach us some pretty hard lessons from it. But we don't have to just imagine Jesus in a pretend classroom in our brains. We have the opportunity to do that now. The greatest teacher has given us access to all of his lesson plans. The greatest teacher has given us instructions for how to live our lives. And the greatest teacher has given you words upon words and stories upon stories to show you just how much he loves you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who is known and revered and despised for being an excellent teacher. We thank you for the wonderful educators that each of us have in our lives, those who have taught us, God, the methods that they use so that we would learn new things. We thank you for those that you have gifted for teaching. And God, this morning, as we consider how we ourselves are to continue to learn, we ask that you would continue to challenge us. Help us to be grounded in your word, to find new things in it, so that we might experience your presence even more clearly. It's in your name that we ask all of these things. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.